good morning, Hillcrest. <laughs> My name is Laura Stackrock, and I am the next-gen pastor of kids here at Hillcrest, and I am really, really glad to be here with you today. Um, I had actually previously recorded this message because some members of my household had COVID over the weekend last week, and, and uh, so I was worried that I wouldn't get to be here in person, but I am so glad to see your faces here and to be able to see you at home as well. So we are in week four of a series called... Week, uh, Yes, a series called Vital Relationships. We're in week four. And this is actually our second week of a mini-series within this series. And so last, last week, Steve did week one of our parenting. And today I am following up with that, talking about parenting today. Um, our Vital Relationship series is all tied in with our Connect Small Next Step about how our special relationships, those more personal relationships where we're connecting um, just in closer ways, that those are things that help us grow in our walk with God. And your family is one of the biggest influences of that. So, so that's where we're going today. So um, just so you know my credentials for talking about parenting, I want to show you a picture of my family. And so I have two sons and um, my oldest son, Nate, on the left, is in his third year at Bible College in Eston, and he is 20 years old, and my younger son, Josh, on the right, is 18 years old tomorrow, so if you see Josh, he's in with the teens today, but if you see him after church, make sure that you say happy birthday to him, so you can see that... Um, we are in a new phase of parenting in our life right now as we're learning how to parent young adults. So you can pray for Kent and I that we would figure that out. <laughs> if y'all know any good tips, come and help me. <laughs> so, all right, the title of my message today is What Kids Need Most from Their Parents and Why the Bad News is Really the Good News. Now, I know some of you, as soon as you hear, ooh, there's bad news, you're just chomping at the bit, and you're like, tell me the bad news, I want to know the bad news. But, but we're actually going to start right at the top, and we're going to talk about what kids need from their parents. So, what are the things that kids need from their parents? Well, there's the basic need for food, clothing, shelter, safety, protection, all of that. Our kids need to be nurtured and have a sense of belonging, identity, that they're loved. And part of that nurture is the physical contact that kids need when they're little. Our kids need to learn how to function in a family and in society. They need to be taught how to behave. And so we start that when they're little. We start with just that initial obedience of no, don't touch, come here, all of that, just to teach them for safety's sake, you know? And then we move on to things that are more, more social obedience kind of things, like manners and following our cultural norms and all of those things. We go on to civic obedience, where we're looking at being taught how to obey the generally accepted rules and laws of society. And so that's like, no cheating, no stealing, no lying. Those things have consequences. And that's generally accepted, whether you're of a faith or not. And things like respecting authority of your parents, your teachers, your government, your police, all of those things are things that we need to be teaching. 
And then there's all the life skills that we have to be teaching our kids. The personal hygiene, the tying of shoes, the how to have conversations with people, the sight words. Oh, I'm so glad I don't have to do sight words anymore. The chores, the driving, all of those things. Make no mistake, all of those things that I just breezed through to sum up parenting, it's a whole lot of work. And it's a lot of sacrifice. And it's a lot of repeating yourself over and over and over again. It's big, important work, and I recognize that. And then add on top of it for people of faith like you and I who want to pass on our faith to our children, it adds a whole other realm of things that we're trying to teach them as we teach them about God and the Bible and what it looks like to follow Jesus. So with so much at stake, we look for strategies. We look for tips and tricks on how to teach our kids. We live in an age where there are thousands of resources available to help us with this. And so many of us pour through books or scour the internet looking for that one formula that will help our kids finally listen to us. And guess what? I think I found it and I'm here to share it with you today. Just kidding. (laughs) I am not here today to give you any kind of five-step plan. I am not here to tell you how to be the perfect parent. There's only one thing that I know that can actually bring the change that is needed in you, in your children, in your parenting, and your relationship with your children. And that is the gospel. Now, We've already heard the gospel a few times today, but for those of you who aren't familiar with what I mean when I say the word gospel, the word gospel means good news. And the good news of the gospel is, even though we are all desperately broken and sinful, we are all also fully known and fully and deeply loved by God. And because of his great love for us, God sent Jesus to do everything that was needed to rescue us from sin, the sin that separated us from him, and to restore us to a right relationship with him. When we could not live a perfect life, Jesus lived it for us. When we could not offer a perfect sacrifice, Jesus became the sacrifice for us and took the punishment that we deserved by dying on the cross. He took our sin and in exchange gave us his perfect righteousness and the right to be called children of God. But that's not even the best part of the story. Three days later, Jesus defeated death for good. He rose from the dead, and in that, he revealed that God had accepted his sacrifice for our sins. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection are the reason that we can be rescued from sin and experience new life and hope. The good news is, if we acknowledge and turn away from sin, Choosing to trust in what Jesus did for us instead of trying to earn our way to God by our good deeds, which, by the way, won't work anyways, 
then we are changed from the inside out as we receive the spirit of Christ in us. The spirit of Christ in us. Not only that, but we receive the promise of life and friendship with God in our present and for eternity. That is the good news of the gospel. Amen. Amen. Yes, thank you. (laughs) I was hoping that we'd get a response on that. Yes, it is good news. And our kids need the gospel in their lives because they need to know that they are fully known and loved by God. They need to know that they will fail, but that when they fail, they don't have to give in to despair because Jesus has already covered their shame and is waiting to give them grace. Our kids need to know that they can't earn God's love and they can't lose God's love. God loves because of who he is, not because of anything that we do. They need to know that they are not the author, the main character, or the hero of the story. That's Jesus. But he invites them to be part of the story that he is writing. They need to know that they can't change their own hearts by their own will. Only the Spirit of God can bring true change to our hearts. And they need to know God is for them and will fight for them. Now, some of these things sound really great, and some of them may have sound a little harsh for our sweet little darling children. You will fail. You are not the hero. You can't change your heart. I agree. Those things do sound a little harsh. They kind of sound like bad news. But... In reality, they're actually good news because what it does is it lets them off the hook for being someone that they could never be. If we flip the script on that, we end up saying, you must always succeed. You are the hero, so you must make something of yourself. You must be in control of yourselves at all times. Wow, that is so much pressure. So do you see how the bad news can become the good news? I will fail, but there's grace for me. I don't have to be the hero. I can let God take the lead in my life and see where he takes me. I can't change my heart, but God can. Do you see how freeing the gospel can be? Beautiful. Now, I was recently reading a parenting book by an author named Paul Tripp, and this is what he said. As a parent, you know that it's your job to help form character in your children. So as a parent, you will rely on something to create change in your children. There is some tool that you will use again and again in the belief that it has the power to change your child. And because you have confidence in that tool, you will use it again and again in situation after situation and with child after child. 
The change tool that you have placed your confidence in will not only be a tool that you reach for when change is indicated, but it will also be the lens you look through to assess situations and to evaluate your children. Imagine what a powerful change tool the gospel could be in the hearts of our children and in our hearts as well. But remember all those things that I listed off really quick, that whole summary of parenting that we talked about? The manners, the life skills, the biblical practices, being a good citizen. Now, especially when our kids are young, so much of the training and instruction and correction that we do stems from the rules and expectations and laws that we're trying to pass on to them. And with the additional inclusion of God's laws for Christians' families again. For many families, because there's so much to teach them, it often seems easier just to stick with the same teaching strategy for all of it. And so it is that rules and expectations and the law end up becoming the change tool that so many people return to. Continuing with author Paul Tripp, he says, I'm convinced without knowing it, Thousands and thousands of well-meaning Christian parents are asking the law to do in the lives of their children what only the powerful grace of God can accomplish. This truth needs to be considered and needs to shape everything you do as a parent. If rules and regulations had the power to change the heart and life of your child, rescuing your child from himself and giving him a heart of submission and faith, Jesus would never have needed to come. You see, what you assign the power of change will shape the way you parent your children in all of those mundane and not-so-mundane moments that end up forming who they are as they leave your home. So let that sink in. Do you see how even after such a short glimpse of what the gospel is, that we've taken this morning, we can already see how much more powerful giving them the gospel is than just giving them the law. Now, I am not saying that rules and law are bad and that we shouldn't teach them to our children, especially not God's good law. We need God's law to give us framework and boundaries for how we are to live. Last week, Steve took us into Deuteronomy chapter 6, where Moses was reminding the Israelites about the law that God had given them. Remember, the Israelites had been slaves in Egypt. God had rescued them from that slavery to establish them as his own people. And Moses said to them, Love God with all that you have and all that you are. Commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands. Be diligent in teaching them to your kids. Repeat them over and over and over again so that they will know them. Talk about them when you're at home, when you're on the road, at bedtime, in the morning, wherever you are. Always keep them before you. Write them on your walls if you have to. The law is important. That's the Stackerock paraphrase version. God gave them his law starting with the Ten Commandments, and then a whole lot of other rules. And the purpose of the law was to teach them how to love God 
and how to love others. And God's rules and laws that he set out for his people were to teach them right from wrong, to protect them and help them flourish. For example, one of the laws that God set out was the law of keeping the Sabbath. When I practice Sabbath rest, and this is something that I've been working on diligently for the last few years, actually. When I practice Sabbath rest, taking one day a week to rest from my work, take time and let God meet me and touch my heart and do other things that are restorative to me, then the rest of my week is kind of set up to go so much better because I have been refueled and, and I have the resources, the internal resources that I need to face what is coming. And so even just with that one law, we see how the law can be beneficial and good. The law also has another purpose. It's meant to reveal our sin and show us our need for a savior. Without the standard of God's law, we would have no idea that we're sinners in need of rescue. You know how it is. When your building project isn't working out, it's only when you apply a measuring tool to your boards do you realize that you've cut them too short. Measure twice, cut once. Right, Dad? (laughs) The law is the measuring tool through which we discover we don't measure up. Our boards are too short. And we can't fix it on our own. We need someone to rescue us from our sinful selves. I've heard it put this way, that the law was meant to crush us and drive us to Christ. Now, this is as far as the law can take us. It's given us good guidelines. It's shown us our sin in such a way that it makes us long to be rid of or to conquer our sin. And that's where it leaves us because the law can't save us, nor can any of our best efforts. Only Jesus can. And this is why we can't just give our kids rules and laws because when they fail, all the law offers as a change tool is to point out their failure and show them their brokenness without offering any solution to the problem other than try harder. Our kids need the gospel to explain to them why they sin, why why they get mad when things don't go their way or when they're asked to do something they don't want to do. The gospel tells them that it's because of their sinful nature. Sometimes with our little ones, we explain it as having a sin-sick heart. And it's because of that sin-sick heart that we all choose our own way over God's way. But then we get to give them the solution to the problem. We get to say to them, thank God for Jesus. He died on the cross to take our sins so our hearts can be made whole and healthy again. Let's take a look at the scriptures that Tim read for us earlier. Now, these scriptures reinforce what we are talking about. Paul is reminding the Galatians that the law can only take us so far, but it's the work of Christ on the cross that makes us new. 
And for context about what we're reading here, Paul was writing to the church in Galatia to correct some false teaching that some of the people had fallen into. And that teaching was that in addition to their faith, that that they had to follow, hold on a second, they had to follow the Jewish law in addition to their faith in order for their faith to be complete. So taking the faith, but also saying, yeah, you can, we, we believe in Jesus and what he did, but we still have to try hard. And Paul calls them on this. So let's start in verse 3 here. He says, how foolish can you be? Are you, after starting your new lives in the spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? This is not an issue that is unique to these Galatian believers. We do this all the time. We accept Christ's initial rescue, but try to become spiritually mature by our own strength instead of trusting in the spirit to grow us into what he wants us to be. We're all still trying to be the hero of our own story or trying to earn his favor with our good deeds, even though we already have his favor. One author shared her struggle with this by saying that on most days, I act like Jesus' final three words on the cross were make me proud instead of saying it is finished. When Jesus said it is finished, he meant he has done everything he needed to make you right with God. You can't add anything to it. You can't take away from it. You just need to receive it and live in that truth. And so in verse 10 to 12, Paul reminds them again. There's no hope to be found in the law, only the curse of death. For the scriptures say, cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commands that are written in God's book of the law. It's clear that no one can be made right with God by keeping the law. That's me. I would be under that curse. But he reminds them again, it's only by faith in what Jesus has done that we can be saved. He once again turns the bad news into the good news. In verse 13, Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who hung on a tree. For those of us who put their trust in what Jesus has done, that curse that should fall on us no longer hangs above our heads because Jesus has already dealt with that curse by taking it into himself. He's already done what we're trying to do. So some people might say, why even have the law if it seems to conflict with God's plan for salvation? But Paul says, no, no, there's no conflict. And going into our passage in verse 21 and on, he reminds them why we're given the law. The law gave them an understanding of what God requires, and it showed them their own sin and weakness 
And it prepared the way for Christ by making them long for a greater solution. Verse 23 says, Before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under guard by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. Let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. Now, within those pictures of the, the protective custody and that guardianship, within those pictures is the idea of being kept separate for a special purpose yet to come and of being trained and prepared for what will be yours when you step into your full rights as an heir. So the, the law is helping to prepare what is coming. And that's exactly what we see happening in the next verse where we see, and now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. For you are all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Paul's saying, celebrate. You've got it. You've got the solution. Jesus Christ is the answer. And then, just a few verses later into verse 4, Paul once again reminds them of the good news. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. That means he fulfilled all of the law perfectly for us. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir with full rights. I love how these verses give us a picture of what our new relationship as a child of God can look like. That word Abba, our kids actually just learned this last week, it is a familiar name, like a child stretching out their arms and saying, Daddy! Running towards him, ready to be swept up into his arms. Beautiful. Now, I don't know if you noticed this or not, but this passage of scripture is a spiritual father bringing correction to the children who have gone the wrong way. Galatians actually contains some of the most stern or you could even say forceful writings that we see from Paul. And maybe it's because he's trying to get his point across to these children. He's even, he's even telling them at times that they are foolish. But when we look at how Paul is correcting his children here, we can actually see a fairly positive example for us of how correction can be done. The first thing that he does is show them their foolishness. Then he reminds them there's a better way. The next thing he does is point them to Jesus. And then he strengthens them with the truth and hope of the gospel and who they are in Christ. 
What a beautiful way to bring correction. And not even just parents and kids, but even between friends and brothers and sisters in Christ, we can use this. Show them foolishness, remind them of a better way, point them to Jesus, and strengthen them with the truth and hope of the gospel and who they are in Christ. Now, I know that some of you are saying, but there's no consequences in there. Paul doesn't dole out any consequences with this correction, but, and that makes sense within his context. But as you raise your children, there will be times the consequences also need to be part of the correction process. And sometimes it's easy to figure out what a consequence should be, but sometimes you get stuck on how to respond to a situation. My best strategy for you in those moments is to ask the Holy Spirit to give you an idea or strategy of what will reach the heart of your child best. And then listen. And even if it sounds strange, try it. Some of my most profound moments with my kids came out of using this idea that how will that even work? (laughs) But it reached their heart. So how do we start to parent our children with the gospel? Aside from what we've already talked about, I want to leave you with two suggestions. And the first one is point them to Jesus. Give and make every opportunity that you can to point your kids to Jesus. Put them in positions to encounter his love and grace for themselves so that he can transform them. I read a a really great book by an author named Drew Hill, and it's called Alongside, Loving Teenagers with the Gospel, and this is what he has to say. Pursuing teenagers with the gospel simply means doing whatever it takes to bring kids face-to-face with Jesus. Jesus is the destination. Jesus is the goal. Jesus is the prize. The gospel, the good news that we're delighted to share, is simply a person If kids can just get a clear glimpse of who Jesus Christ is, they can't help but fall in love with him. We need to give our kids Jesus. And then the next thing is that in order to give your children the hope of the gospel, you need to embrace it in your own life. You need to embrace the bad news. You are a broken sinner, unable to rescue yourself, And you need to receive the good news. Jesus has already done everything that was needed so that you can be made right with God. You can't earn his love, and you can't lose it. Maybe you've never put your trust in Jesus, but as you've sat here today, you've wondered, is that good news for me too? Because I sure need it. And the answer is yes. Yes, this is good news for you too. And you can receive it right now by simply praying a prayer like this. Dear Father, thank you that you love me and sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sin. I put my trust in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Help me to live a life that honors you by the power of the Holy Spirit who now lives in me. And if you prayed that prayer with me right now, today, I want you to know 
that we're celebrating with you. This is amazing. And a great next step for you might be to tell someone. Tell whoever it is that you came with, whoever it is you're watching at home with. Maybe tell your children that you've decided to put your trust in Jesus. And then, for all of us, as you begin to embrace the gospel and learn how to live in the forgiveness and favor that grace has God, that God has given you, you need to allow your kids to see not just the Christ-like character that God's forming in you, but you also need to let them see your struggles, your weakness, and how your sin drives you to Christ. Consider how when you're going through a challenging time and you meet someone who is or has gone through the same thing that you're going through. And you suddenly feel like I'm not alone in the fight. Someone knows what I'm going through and they're cheering me on. It's like the weight of your burden has been shared with someone else who's been there. What a great gift for us to give our children To hear mom and dad say, me too, I struggle with sin. I'm not perfect either. I need forgiveness just as much as you do. And then we say, thank God for Jesus. As a reminder that Jesus has already paid the price and given us his righteousness. This is actually exactly what our friend Paul did in a different letter to the Romans. And I'm going to end with this. This is from chapter 7. It says, I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. I want to do what's right, but I can't. I want to do what's good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It's the sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what's right, I inevitably do what's wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am! Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And so today, would you all be strengthened by the gospel and its promise of grace from God? And would we take that Let it transform us and give it to others, including our children. Thank God for Jesus. Let's pray. God, we are astounded by your goodness. You love us so much that you give us rules and guidelines to protect us, but... You have given us a new and better way through Jesus Christ. And Lord, I need you every single day of my life 
to bring this broken heart into wholeness. Lord, I pray for this gospel truth, even though we've only just scratched the surface of it, Lord, I pray that that the truth of your grace would begin to go deep into the hearts and into the minds and into the lives of everyone who is listening to it today. And Lord, may we be transformed by your work in us. Thank you that we do not have to transform ourselves or transform our children. Lord, we're fully dependent on you. And so God... We just ask that you would send your love into us and into our kids. And may your glory and your beauty reign in our lives. Amen.